welcome. This is Jeff Kober, and we are glad that you joined us for another Disney at Work and Play podcast. We appreciate you taking the time, and we want to just kind of give you a, before we get going in today's topic, give you a little bit of a, a summary of what we're trying to do right now. As we've gone into 2020, I've, we really tried to be consistent at delivering a podcast once a week to you. We know that for people who love to listen to podcasts, it's really important to have that consistency. So we're doing our best to do that once a week. My intent, this has not been perfect, but my intent has been to try to deliver it on Tuesdays. So look for it. Ideally, Tuesday mornings is when we'd like to deliver this podcast to you. And so that's our goal. Be patient as we're trying to learn, as we deal with so many other things on our plate. But but please, uh, please uh, try to uh, tune in and uh, join us um, as we bring another podcast to you. The other thing I should say is that we've also tried to go back and forth with one week being a focus largely on Disney at play, the other week being a focus on Disney at work. Uh, we've had some... Uh, very unique podcast. Uh, we had the Stop, Drop, and, and uh, Disney podcast with my family. And if you haven't heard that, that's basically a podcast on on uh, what do you do when uh, you don't really have any plans, any reservations, any fast passes for a park. Uh, how do you enjoy the park at that point? Um, another one that we did last week, which was a Disney at Work podcast, was uh, what if the Golden Girls piloted the Millennium Falcon? I know it seems like a strange title for a topic, but it actually was about team building, and it really was about um, the song "Thank You for Being a Friend," and and it brought together all of the attractions that have been in this backspace at Disney's Hollywood Studios. There used to be the backlot tour with the Golden Girls set, lights, motors, action, extreme stunt show, and then finally the the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So we're just really trying to bring new topics and new experiences for you. And we appreciate you just um, trying all of them at the buffet table. Um, this week, we're introducing kind of what I'm tentatively calling um, the Disney Distinction Series. I know that there are some other really great podcasts out there that will take a particular attraction or um park or location and they'll they'll dig deep into the details of that and I'd love to do that on some of my future podcasts as well but but often the question that people ask me is hey how does how does Disneyland compare to uh, Walt Disney World or you know how does one Pirates of the Caribbean compare to the other Pirates of the Caribbean or are all the are all the um the uh, um, restaurants that is even just just the comparison between one and another. So what we wanted to do was provide that kind of opportunity to say, how do these compare? I've been blessed with an opportunity to actually uh, to have been to all of these. Uh, parks and resorts worldwide multiple times, um, not because I make a lot of money, but because um, I've been um, 
just had a chance to work with wonderful clients globally. And many of them have asked to have these programs in these parks, but many of them just live in areas that allowed me the opportunity to visit the park when I wasn't doing business with them. So, so it's given me a chance to observe and see all these parks and to kind of see how they stack up against one another. And, and people ask the question so often, you know, um, what's the difference? And, uh, and uh, and how do they compare? So that's what this is about. Today, we are going to look at, I felt like to do the initial one, we had to talk about the Disney castles. I mean, they are the icons for all of these theme parks across the world, and they are amazing places. And so we thought it would be really good to kind of just compare Disney castles across the world. And that's the purpose of our podcast today. By the way, um, with this comes an extensive notes page, um, including a chart that we have made uniquely. And I, I don't think anybody's really done this, but it stacks up all the different castles against each other and what are their different features and design elements and so forth, um, amenities. And, and so take a look at that on the show notes page, plus a ton of photos. Because really talking about this, it's just really helpful to kind of see what this looks like visually. So, so that's what we're, we're about today in our podcast. So to do this, let's, let's kind of go across. We're going to talk about some themes across the board. But we're also going to talk about each of the castles individually. So let's begin where it all began in Disneyland out in Anaheim, California. Disneyland's Sleeping Beauty Castle is... Truly the most simplistic, and by the way, I e even the most simplistic castle, Sleeping Beauty Castle here, we could actually do a podcast and a notes page and videos for each one of these. There is so much to examine and see in any one. So our intent is not to do the most complete podcast on any one of these castles, but to again, see that comparative point across. When Walt built Disneyland, and he, and this castle was the only castle he knew. But when he built Disneyland originally, he had to, um, well, it was all he could do to open up the park. And so the castle is the most modest of all of the park castles. It's only 77 feet in height. Um, he really didn't have a lot of... Um, experience building theme parks so the details and what goes into didn't even really think about what to put in the castle um, he saw it more as almost um, a prop that you would have on a back lot that would be that would attract the guest's attention in fact actually we show a map um, that Herb Ryman did and it's really the original map of the park it was the original look of what this park was like and it was used to sell the bankers in new york on financing uh the park um they they visited the different television networks to try to get them on board to to backing up the park well if you study that map which we again have in the notes page you'll see that the castle actually was not at the end of main street it was actually in the back of Fantasyland. The front of Fantasyland at the end of Main Street was really just a drawbridge and kind of a, a wall or gate going into that themed land. But it was the castle 
the castle was actually going to be in the back. So at some point that got pushed toward the front and became the icon more of the park. And it was originally based on um, Neuschwanstein in Europe, which you'll see when you are um, either on the new Soren uh, attraction or if you love the original Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, it has that basic look of it. Uh, but the castle opened up with really nothing in it. And it was only a couple of, it was a couple of years later that they chose to actually put um, some kind of attraction in it. Now, there wasn't a lot of space because the attraction, the castle itself just wasn't that big. Um, so what they chose to do was do a walkthrough of different dioramas which would showcase the story of Sleeping Beauty. And this was time because the castle, interestingly enough, themed to Sleeping Beauty, when it opened in 1955, you have to realize that the film didn't open for several years later. Um, they were working on the film and it took quite a few years to create, but there wasn't, there wasn't, people didn't look at the castle and say, oh, it's just like in the movie. No, because they hadn't seen the movie when they first visited the castle. So, so the walkthrough kind of helped tie the castle to the film and kind of put that together. And, and it's, and it's, a, and, and it's really kind of cool to walk through the castle. I know that a lot of people, there's really two things they want to do when they see a castle. First, they want to take a photo of them, of the castle or them in front of the castle. But the second thing they want to do is, hey, can we go up in it? They want to see inside the castle. And so this uh, Sleeping Beauty diorama provided that first window of opportunity for going up into the castle. There are a couple other minor amenities um, that adorn the castle as well. Probably the most um, uh, notable is that on the far right side, you can go down a little path. There are two paths actually that you can go right straight through the castle, but then there are also little paths that take you up um, kind of into side entries of the castle. And on the right side, you'll find what is Snow White's Wishing Well and Grotto. Um, and there are other podcasts that talked about the origin of this. I won't go into it, but essentially there's two elements. Um, there are these hand-carved statues of Snow White, her animal friends, and then the seven dwarfs. And they surround this sort of waterfall grotto type thing. And then there's also a wishing well where um, the voice of Snow White singing, I'm wishing, um, can be heard. And it's a place where you um, throw coins into the well and make a wish. And by the way, those coins go to a, a great charitable cause. So, so that has also been kind of a little feature. Um, I should note a couple of things in the podcast notes. One is that we did a recent podcast um, where Tom Morris talks about um, the people who actually made Sleeping Beauty Castle a reality. And we talk about Herb Ryman's original drawings, but there are other people who actually went through. And Walt had gotten to know this guy in World War II, or World War One. When, when in Europe, um, who had studied the castles 
of Europe while he was in the war. He was actually um, a pilot who had crashed and had gotten injured and ended up being a driver to to people. And in having to drive uh, colonels and generals all over, he ended up having the opportunity to see different castles. He ended up being the really the Disney artists who would come in and design the different castles that were used in all the films. And then when Disneyland was first created, he provided the um, kind of the architectural drawings that kind of led toward that look and feel that that ultimately became Sleeping Beauty Castle. So we have that story and I'll put the link uh, on there as well. Um, so it's kind of a cool little story and Tom Morris is creating a book right now that really celebrates some of these lesser known Imagineers and artists that contributed. By the way, there's no stage in front of the castle. Uh, that doesn't stop uh, groups like the Disneyland Band from performing out in front of the castle. But, um, but what is uh, infamous is, is that... Um, Disneyland has always had its fireworks tied to being shown behind the castle. And, and that has become iconic because uh, in the early days when they had the wonderful world of Disney, you would see the castle and Tinkerbell would show up and the fireworks would come up and behind the castle. And that was just something that you recognized as part of Disneyland. And even in the closing credits, they would just have the castle at night sitting there and you would see King Arthur's... I mean, I would watch the credits for The Wonderful World of Disney, not because I cared for the credits, but because I cared for this beautiful um, picture of Sleeping Beauty Castle at night and you could see King Arthur's carousel um, through, the, through the drawbridge, through the opening. Of the castle and so that's just become an iconic part of of uh, Disneyland and um, and so for people like me who grew up on Disneyland there's a sentimentality that you are that you're attached to when it comes to the castle you love this castle because of all that it symbolizes and represents however to those people who maybe their first experience was someplace like Walt Disney World and seeing Cinderella Castle, oh my goodness, I never, I never hear the end of people saying, oh, we went to Disneyland. Oh, they have such a small castle. <laughs> well, there's a reason why there's a small castle. But, um, but it is disappointing to people who have seen something much bigger. So when Magic Kingdom got opened in Walt Disney World, um, clearly... I think it must have been walking this enormous space that they bought and realized we got to make things a lot bigger, if nothing else, to be seen. In fact, it's really interesting that of all um, of the castles that we cover, all six castles, there are only two that you can really actually see as you arrive on property. One of them is... Uh, Shanghai Disney's castle um, and the other is Cinderella Castle in Walt Disney World and I think the reason why these two castles are so easy to be seen is because there's a lake in front of both Ma uh, Magic Kingdom parks there and so being across the lake and as you kind of arrive to the property it's um, just much easier plus they're big castles 
Um, in Tokyo, you're kind of the city is has grown up around the park, so you really don't see much. I do see, you do see a little bit of the castle as you arrive by bus or by car um, going in Tokyo, but you don't see it by train much. Um, you really don't see it until you're in the park. But here, as you one of the cool things is as you arrive at the TTC at Walt Disney World. You can look across the lagoon and you see that castle and it just emerges and stands in the center of the Magic Kingdom. And it's really a wonderful thing because it just gets guests excited and anticipating uh, their visit. It stands at 189 feet and it, it just is an elegant castle. It builds, uh, the bottom layers kind of build off of a French Romanesque uh, fortress, um, kind of these double roof towers on the bottom that surround the castle. I, I just love that look and feel. As you kind of move up um, the floors of the castle, you get a much more Gothic architecture that's in keeping with 12th and 13th century France. Very French, again, tying with the story of Cinderella. And in fact, as you go into the castle, one of the signature pieces of that is that there is this beautiful set of murals um, that stand about, I want to say about 15 feet high, most of them, and they they showcase the story of Cinderella. You know, the story of Cinderella um, loses a shoe, gets the prince. Um, and these uh, works of art are found both in the Orlando and in the Tokyo um, Cinderella castles. And actually, you can find sections of these murals when you are on the Disney cruise ships. They've taken pieces of them to create kind of photo opportunities on the cruise ships. And they're made with thousands of tiny hand-glazed um, Italian tiles, some of them in... 14 karat gold. They're just, it's a beautiful piece. A little dark in the castle corridor, so sometimes it isn't as beautifully lit as it could be. I like going there at night to see those murals before I exit the park um, at the end of the day after the fireworks. Now, in terms of the castle, um, there is no attraction per se in Cinderella Castle, which I think is the disappointing thing about. If there was one thing I would say that's disappointing about Cinderella Castle is that you just can't decide to go up into the castle that day or see an attraction or do something up in the castle. That to me is disappointing. They do have a restaurant, Cinderella's Royal Table. It affords you an opportunity to not only dine up in the castle, but to see Cinderella and um, many of the other Disney princesses are often there. However, this is one of the most coveted um, dining locations in all of Walt Disney World. And for those staying on property, it, it, um, months out, people are calling and making reservations. And so the, those reservations go so quick and the, expect and the meal is very expensive. And in fact, you actually have to pay for the meal in advance uh, when you make a reservation. So for a local like me, it's pretty hard to get a ticket into that restaurant. Um, and some say the food isn't, I mean, I've dined there a couple of times, but um, 
Some say the food isn't as good as elsewhere, but again, people are going just for the opportunity to be up in the castle and to, and to have said that I dined at the castle. So, so definitely worth staying at. Above this uh, Cinderella's royal table, is what's known as Cinderella Suite. And we've actually provided a video of what that looks like on our notes page. So again, go there to check that out. Um, originally, the intent of this space was to be a suite for Roy Disney. Um, Walt Disney had an apartment above um, the firehouse in Town Square at Disneyland. And when Pirates of the Caribbean was being built, they looked to build a, an apartment there um, above um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, so when the castle was being built in Magic Kingdom, the thought was, let's go ahead and build a um, suite for Roy. Walt, Walt had passed on, but, um, but build it for the family um, above there. However, Roy Disney passed away only two months after the uh, the uh, park opened. And so for many years, uh, when you called Walt Disney World by phone, you actually were talking to operators who were sitting in the suite. They just were limited in the, the amount of space available. So they stuck the operators there. Um, and, uh, and so that um, was kind of the uh, location for them. Then, um, Years later, um, for an anniversary, they decided what they would do is redo that space and build a suite, and then they would choose a guest every day to come stay. Now, they don't do that anymore. Um, they do do select opportunities for VIP guests, and sometimes they'll do a um, kind of a drawing for a charitable event to stay there, um, but it's pretty hard to get into the castle to stay the night. Uh, still, it is a beautiful space. Outside Cinderella Castle, there are uh, a few touches, um, just like there is a Snow White wishing well at Disneyland. Magic Kingdom offers a Cinderella wishing well. It's um, fairly modest. There's no grotto or set of statues, but there is a beautiful little well, and it sits down the path as you face the right side of Cinderella Castle. It's a it's a nice, lovely piece, and again, um, those. Coins that are thrown into the well to make a wish go to children and, uh, and charities. Now, when uh, the Oriental Land Company um, worked with Disney to build Tokyo Disneyland, they literally went to both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, went through all the attractions, shops, restaurants, everything, and kind of decided it was like buffet. We'll take one of these and we'll take one of those. So... Pirates of the Caribbean and was taken from Disneyland, but the castle was taken from uh, Magic Kingdom. And uh, and what makes and it's a, it's a little interesting because actually, um, while Cinderella Castle is 189 feet, the castle looks identical identical to the one in Magic Kingdom, but for some reason they say it's only 168 feet. And I think it has to do with the space that that stems from the moat to the um, to the drawbridge. But if you look at both, um, they are 
very similar in structure. Now, they're not necessarily the same in terms of both their setting and their appearance. And what I mean by that is, in the setting, when you first come upon Cinderella Castle at Tokyo Disney, you will first see it from World Bazaar. And what makes that interesting is that World Bazaar has this structure to kind of weatherproof it because of the inclement weather. Um, and so it's kind of framed by World Bazaar's atrium as you look out toward the castle. The other thing that you will notice, and by the way, it also sits back quite a ways further from the end of that World Bazaar. The um, Central Plaza area, and I think I'm going to do just even a comparison podcast on, on Central Plazas because they're all very different. But that space is a much bigger space in Tokyo Disney. And so the castle sits back a little further. The other thing, too, is that the weather is not the same in Tokyo. Here they have snow. Here they have a lot more colder, cloudier, inclement weather, um, even smog. And so the paint style is a little bit more um, distinct. It um, They tend to punch out the details of the castle a little bit more. And you can see in the photos, it just looks a little bit differently, especially on the lower tier of the castle than you see in the upper tier. Um, again, it may be minor, but, um, but there are differences when you look at the two, at the two castles. Now, unlike um, Cinderella Castle at Magic Kingdom where they have a restaurant, they chose wisely <laughs> to build an attraction and to take that space and make it into an attraction. Originally, it was actually based on, it was a walking tour based on Disney villains and which had the climax of which was to see the villain from the Black Cauldron, which uh, most people don't remember the Horn King, but, uh, but that they had this huge animatronic of the Horn King at the end of the, uh, of the attraction. You walked around seeing this. I wish it was still there. They took it out and they replaced it with what is known as Cinderella's Fairy Tale Hall. And it really is, I don't know how to describe it other than it's kind of a celebration of <laughs> Cinderella. And it's got these beautiful, it's a beautifully appointed space, elegant space, lovely um, fixtures and, and um, detailing. Um, wallpaper and everything. There are lots of models um, and dioramas and paintings which tell the story of Cinderella and depict many of the highlights of that story. And, and you eventually get to the throne room of Cinderella where there's this beautiful throne um, that uh, is draped uh, around it by um, by a crown and there is Cinderella's uh, glass slipper and you can actually step onto the throne and have your photo taken. It's, it's beautiful. You have this opportunity to be, have a seat on the throne room of Cinderella's fairy tale hall. What you don't get though is you don't get to see Cinderella. 
And uh, while I, this is a podcast safe for all families, just let's just say that it's a little harder to get Cinderella to make appearances in Tokyo. And, uh, and so as a result, they don't depend on that character appearance when you're in this attraction. Um, however, it is a beautiful attraction and it's kind of fun to walk through and not very crowded compared to so many other attractions at Tokyo Disney. And what I really love about it is when you're done, you actually step out on the backside of it and go down a stairwell into Fantasyland. But as you do so, you have this beautiful view. And I, again, I have a photo of it, of uh, Fantasyland. And I'm telling you, the park, the colors um, of their carousel and of It's a Small World and of the Fantasyland Courtyard, it's just beautiful. So it's a great place to take a photo. Downstairs, there are some shops. And in fact, um, I, I didn't mention that at Magic Kingdom there is a there have always been some stores but they've been uh, it's been largely replaced by Bippity Boppity Boutique and also by a holding area for the Castle Forecourt sh um, shows. Both castles, you know, you don't go straight through the drawbridge, but rather you descend on the left and right side, ascend and descend on the left and right side. Um, on kind of a, which allows an area in front of the castle to be uh, used as a stage area. And actually, it wasn't um, a staging area originally at Magic Kingdom. It really, uh, the characters would assemble there, but there was no stage. It was, that was later uh, um, added. And then when Tokyo Disney was built, they uh, added a staging area as well and there are a lot of forecourt shows and of course the fireworks that occur um, behind all shows um, they occur also at uh, Tokyo Disneyland so um, the only other thing I will mention about Tokyo Disney is that they too have a wishing well but they chose rather than uh, the Cinderella wishing well which actually wasn't even there that is a later addition, I think came in the 90s. So they just simply chose the Snow White Wishing Well. But instead of being on the right side, it's actually on the left side. And it's not in a very intimate space. It's actually a much more open space. You can see it from the plaza. It's situated sandwiched between Fantasyland and Frontierland. But it's got all the elements, the Wishing Well, Snow White statue, the Seven Dwarfs. And I, I show a picture of this in the notes page at Easter time. They take out the, the statues of the dwarfs and they put in um, big Easter eggs of each of the individual dwarfs. And it's kind of cute. So check that out. Um, but that's kind of the difference. Again, these two castles are probably the most comparable to each other. Although we're going to talk about Hong Kong Sleeping Beauty Castle in a few minutes. But, but these are the most comparable of all the castles, and yet there are some very big differences between the two castles uh, as a result. Now, we go on to Disneyland Paris, and I had the opportunity um, recently to interview Tom Morris, who played a very big part in the design of this castle. Um, there had been a lot of effort to try to figure out what should the castle look like. You know, the story of the three bears. Um, it was kind of like 
um, the castle at Disneyland was too small. The castle, Cinderella Castle, was too big. Um, although the Main Street in the larger part of Main Street at Disneyland Paris is really a replica of Main Street at Magic Kingdom. But for the castle, they kind of created um, a castle that's instead of 189 feet, it's 167 feet. It's not quite as tall. And it's almost like it's the perfect fit castle. Moreover, the castle is more of a fantasy version of a castle. And, and the reason they did this is because as they looked at different castles throughout Europe, they came to a conclusion, the best castles are all here within, even within a day or two drive of Paris. How can we just, just build another fancy castle? Because they already have fancy castles. So the decision was made to build more of a fantasy-like castle. And they again went back to the story of Sleeping Beauty and, um, and some of the drawings that were done there, particularly um, the approach to the castle being kind of in this layer of a hillside leading up to the castle, which was, um, uh, which was uh, uh, designed by the artist who created uh, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Ivan Earl, and um, and so they kind of base this castle on Sleeping Beauty again, but it doesn't look like the Sleeping Beauty castle in Disneyland. And in fact, this is probably one of the best castles uh, designed. Again, we'll in the show notes page we'll put a link to um, Tom's discussion of this castle. Uh, what is wonderful is like. Um, Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland, you can go up into the castle to explore it. But the castle is much more open to the back, uh, on the back half to Fantasyland. So you get a lot of natural light coming through here. And rather than using dioramas, they used a lot of artistic elements. Um, they used uh, statues. Uh, for Instead of pillars, they have these trees that are kind of organically... Um, grow up through the castle. They have uh, stained glass that tells the story of Sleeping Beauty. They have these beautiful um, uh, tapestries that have been woven that help tell the story. They have this pelage which um, uses light kind of changing in a refractory tone. If you remember Journey into Imagination, the original, there was this giant pelage in that um, that uh, um, figment and uh, was using to paint on. And this is a pelage that goes back and forth from a picture of the doves to a picture of roses. You remember the two of the gifts that were given to um, Sleeping Beauty by the three fairies. And so you see this, and I, I show some pictures of this. And then turning around, you have a beautiful view of Fantasyland. And they have a, it's a really elegant Fantasyland. And so that's really cool. But even cooler than all of that is that they've 
designed into this hillside that kind of ramps up to, on the left side of the castle as you face it from Main Street. Inside, they've created caverns that you can step from either independently through the hill or from the castle itself. And you go through these tunnels and you get to a dragon. Nowhere else in a Disney park do you actually get a dragon. And there's this big dragon laying down there. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite look like Maleficent's dragon, but still, it is a, a terrifying beast in and of itself, and it's a breathing animatronic that um, that is occasionally stirred up while you are in there, and it's just worthy of being checked out. The other thing I will say is they also have, uh, they also do forecourt shows, but they don't do it in front of the castle. On the right side, um, of the castle they built the stage and I think it was just the best and most clever way to incorporate a stage without ruining the look and feel of the castle as you approach it. Also, castle shows at Magic Kingdom because of whenever they're going on you can't run the trolley, you can't run the Main Street vehicles. So this allows those things to continue operating uh, during the day while still having the shows off to the side. So beautifully very very smart now when they built hong kong disneyland they decided i don't want to say they built it on the cheap that's unfair but they did make it a much more modest effort i think they were more testing the waters i think michael eisner also was overwhelmed by the cost overruns because they spared no expense when they built um the castle and all of disneyland paris and so they went to a much more modest view and they decided to go with the original Main Street of Disneyland. And with that, they decided to go with the original castle at Disneyland. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. The distinguishing feature of Sleeping Beauty Castle in Hong Kong is not the castle because the castle truly is as identical to the one in Disneyland as you can get. However, um, it sits uniquely against the backdrop of a mountain range um, on the island where Disney, uh, Hong Kong Disneyland is located. And in many ways, that's a beautiful feature to have this park nestled against this mountain. But the challenges and people talk about um, the scale of the castle and how they will make elements of the castle smaller as it goes up in height so that it creates this sense of that the top portions of the castle are much further away um, and so this use of scale is a very clever thing and I show some photos of that but Against the mountain, it makes the castle still look very, very small. Much smaller than the Disneyland one because it's not in juxtaposition to that mountain. But with that mountain in place, it looks a lot smaller. And so it's never really taken off. And um, it does have a Snow White's Wishing Well and Grotto, almost, again, identical in nearly every way to the one at Disneyland. They, but they've never put in a diorama of Sleeping Beauty. There are dioramas 
um, that celebrate different princesses and a different attraction in Fantasyland. It's very unique. It's it's a walkthrough set of gardens, um, kind of a little bit like Storybook Land in some ways, but it's very unique. We've covered that another day. Um, however, um, what they have determined is that they're going to take this modest castle, especially with Shanghai's castle, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, and they're going to turn, uh, they're, they're currently remodeling this castle into what is um, going to be called the Castle of Magical Dreams. So rather than being Sleeping Beauty's castle, it's going to represent all princesses and um, on each of the towers and their spires, the finials on top will have a unique feature that will be emblematic of Jasmine or Mulan or Ariel or Pocahontas. I mean, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen princesses, if you include both Anna and Elsa. And they're all represented by this castle. And it's emerging right now. It's going to be very, very different looking than any castle. It's going to be a little more narrow in scope because it has to kind of encompass the original Sleeping Beauty castle that was there. And as you study the pictures, you look and you can see Sleeping Beauty castle still in there, but you see this, this um, other uh, castle addition building up around it or above it, really. Um, so, and with it is going to come a castle forecourt stage. There's going to be uh, a set of fountains. It's going to be much more um, equipped for entertainment and for fireworks. So it's going to be a, a, a pretty interesting looking castle when it's completed. Now we come to the most recently completed castle. And it is the biggest of all castles. It is Shanghai Disneyland's Enchanted Storybook Castle. Not tied to one princess like the the one being developed for Hong Kong, it too kind of celebrates all princesses, but mostly Snow White. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, it is an enormous castle. It is the tallest castle at 197 feet, but it is also the bulkiest castle. And its bulk is largely because there's so much in it. They really, this is a, this is the castle where you can go up into it and do something because there is so much in it. Um, first of all, uh, and, and by the way, I should say there are critics of this castle because it, it looks bulky and its paint job is a little unique. If you actually look at the CAD drawings, I think they intended for the castle to have the blue and whites that you see on Cinderella Castle. But the challenge is, is that there are real smog smoke issues in Shanghai. And it doesn't take long for attractions like this to just, if you go with white, it doesn't take long before it just all looks kind of gray. And you kind of see that play out with the challenges that, that Tokyo has. And so they attacked 
this situation up front by adding a lot of color. And that color seems kind of off-putting at first. It's a little bit like when you are in the Caribbean. Um, the color palettes, and, and actually John Hench did this um, with Main Street. The color palette is much more intense. And also they did this with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at um, Disney's Hollywood Studios. The, cal the color palette is much more intense um, in the Florida parks for the same reason that the color palette is so intense in the Caribbean is because the sun beats down year round on these buildings and it doesn't take long to fade that color. So you punch it in early with a lot of color and then over the years it kind of settles and looks more, more appropriate. You step into this castle and you see four different murals um, in the interior courtyard. You have Anna and Elsa represented. You have um, Rap Rapunzel from Tangled. We show a picture from um, Brave. There's also um, an Erebus Brothers shop, very big one called Crystal's, Crystal Treasures. It's an open, beautifully decorated retail space, elegant space. Look for... Um, Look for the little cricket from Mulan. He sits in his little um, little cage in one section. It's very cute. Um, but the biggest piece of this is an inner atrium that you step into the middle. And this is just gorgeous. It opens up large inside. Um, there is this grand staircase leading upward and a glorious uh, chandelier that hangs from from the ceiling, it is a beautiful space, opened up space that you just don't have in any other castle. It, it is a destination interior where you feel like you finally arrived at the castle. And what's really cool is that with this staircase, you can step up the staircase and you go past these bas-relief sculptures that celebrate each princess and again, any one of these castles you could do a whole podcast and we may do that on on this this one certainly there are so many visuals i have of this but i showcase this picture of sleeping beauties dancing with the owl um but there's one and it starts with the most recent um uh disney princesses um like from frozen and tangled and it goes all the way up to snow white and when you get up to the top of this, uh, next upper levels, it's, it's, it's quite a stair climb, you get to a set of dioramas that show the story of Snow White. But it's not like the one at um, Disneyland. This is much more interactive. This is much more media driven. This is much more 3D. And I've got a video of one scene where Snow White sings Whistle While You Work. And you see all the animals at play. And you know how when, if you've been on Little Mermaid, you can kind of direct. Uh, this does work, actually. It, it, you may not think it works, but you can direct all those little little guys who are moving all the dishes in the queue of, uh, um, of the, the little crabs and moving the dishes and utensils in the queue of, uh, of uh, the Little Mermaid attraction. Well, you can actually help the animals by cueing them and so forth. And it's just this very cute, 
uh, scene. And then after you come to the end of the uh, the Snow White uh, Once Upon a Time adventure, you actually step out into a courtyard up above the castle. You're actually in the front of the castle. You can't really see out into the surrounding areas, but you can actually see the top tiers of the castle and take photos up there. And you're actually up in this courtyard, up, up in the top of the castle. It's very cool. Um, the other cool thing that they have is they they did make it an attraction a centerpiece of this but they also found room to put in a royal banquet hall um i say royal banquet hall the castle is so small in hong kong that they have a royal banquet hall but it is a counter service restaurant and it sits adjacent um uh to the side of sleeping beauty castle in Fantasyland at hong kong disneyland here there is no expense paid to this um, Royal Banquet Hall. In fact, it's not one hall, it's really five salons. Um, the picture I show shows these chandelier um, uh, candelabras and these uh, vases or ornamental pieces that have been hand-drawn for based on the story of Sleeping Beauty. But then you go to another salon and it's based on Snow White. Another one is based on Cinderella. Another on Princess and the Frog. And then finally one that um, is kind of a, the smallest is kind of a, a private dining chamber that is entirely themed to Mulan. All of them totally different. All of them stunningly beautiful and individual. But wait, uh, there's more. Outside in front of the castle, they have a beautiful staging area. They have a space for um, fountains that go with their fireworks shows at night. And they do an, an amazing fireworks show in the evening. But even beyond that, there is still more. There is an attraction in Fantasyland. And um, that attraction is called Voyage to the Crystal Grotto. And much of the attraction occurs along this river on this boat. These boats are about the size of the Jungle River um, boats. And, um, and they go through these different scenes from different Disney classics like Aladdin and Tangled and Mulan. And they have these beautiful fountains that rise up against these, um, these images of uh, the characters and settings from these different films. But at the end of this, the boat sails into a grotto underneath the castle. And you actually venture to see um, the, the, the crystal. Um, and it, there's this kind of light show and dioramas. I show a, a, a mural inside uh, the castle, which kind of puts it all together. And there's a special message that comes from this entire attraction. I'll cover that on another occasion, but but you can see the mur the picture of the mural, and it it brings together all of this again. It, it is again absolutely stunning all that they have put together in this single castle, and all these different layers. You go from the grotto to the stage show to the main entrance and atrium with all its shops. There's a Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. And then you go to the restaurant and then Once Upon a Time 
uh, attraction. I mean, it just go, keeps going up and down this uh, this castle. That's why I would have to say, and I, you have to ask yourself if you um, if you separate the castles from the rest of the parks, if you could only visit the castle, which castle would you go to? And uh, I'm just gonna tell you, my vote would be Shanghai Disney's castle because there's so much to do in that castle. But maybe you have a separate, uh, different choice uh, based on the descriptions I've provided. What is clear from all of this is that each castle is unique and different. They are distinct and they can all be enjoyed. Don't just go to Tokyo and say, oh, that's the same thing as the one in Magic Kingdom. No, see the differences. There are Disney distinctions in each. And that's why we call this the Disney Distinction Series, or at least that's the title I've given it to so far. It's because we want you to see that there are really, what seems to be the same attraction is really distinctly different. Um, and so, any rate, that's it. Our castles, Disneyland, Magic Kingdom, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, Hong Kong Disneyland, and Shanghai Disneyland. The castles of Disney. Thanks for joining us for this, uh, well, longer than usual Disney and Play podcast. I have to admit it, I guess I could have broken up the podcast, but I just wanted you to be able to hear how they all are distinct and compared uh, together. Um, if you are listening to this podcast, then you are uh, undoubtedly a fan of all things Disney. Um, and that's uh, and that's what we bring to you. We bring to you the best of Disney fandom uh, to our Disney at Play, but we also bring uh, best in business ideas to our Disney at Work podcasts and posts and website. And so, and when you think about it, wouldn't you like to bring best in business ideas from the happiest place on earth to you and your workplace? Well. We do that via our posts, podcasts, videos, books, programs, and consulting. So be sure to check that out. Be sure to uh, stay tuned as we have new events, books, and programming available to you. If you want to know more about any of our offerings, please subscribe by signing up to receive uh, one of our free guides to include a complete guide to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge offering hundreds of unique photos, videos, and interactive maps. Have you been to Galaxy's Edge yet? You want to get prepped, you want to get ready, whether it's Disneyland or Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World, you want to make sure you join us. Disney at Work is part of Performance Journeys committed to helping you improve your organization. If you want to know more about how to improve your organization, please reach out to us. Just give me a call. Let me know what's going on in your organization. I'll give you ideas for helping you um, uh, take it to the next level in your own company. Hey, thanks for joining us for this week's show. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we really appreciate those who take the time to share this podcast with others, um, with friends and colleagues. In the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, be sure to follow the compass of your heart and have a great day.